0: This is our league, and this is your league, from the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. Welcome to the newest episode here of Gridiron America. This is Greg James here in Japan. And I am very pleased today to talk to somebody who I've wanted to talk to for a very long time. Uh, and that is uh, my friend Kyle Smith with the USFL Project. And we are talking, we are, go- we are stepping back into the Lorien, is, uh, is, is our new the football dude, uh, football history dude likes to say. And uh, we're stepping in the DeLorean and we're going back to the '80s to talk us some uh, USFL. And uh, when it comes to to leagues, comes to defunct leagues, the USFL is near and dear to a lot of hearts, including including mine, but especially Kyle and the guys at the project. And uh, Kyle, thank you very much for joining me here during March Madness. And as we talk, Man, we got. For- get- Oh, thanks you're for welcome. having me. I appreciate
1: it. It's been a long time coming, hasn't it?
0: It has been. It has been. And I, I you know, thank you for making, for, for doing this during a time where we're both up. It's both kind of, it's, it, the timing is perfect because we're not either too tired or neither one. I'm not like trying to get up, like getting up too early or you're going to bed too late. It's like right in the sweet spot. So, um, and, um, but hey, how, how are things looking for your school right now with, uh, with the game where are we at with uh you're watching the get you got the game on in the background there how are we doing basketball wise you know what let's do a
1: live update right now we've got oh my gosh we've got a we've got fdu fairly dickinson university now up by two
0: oh sweet 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 and final quarter or final i'm sorry final half
1: yeah final half about 17 and a half left to go uh in the second half and and fairly dickinson has made a run and uh we're we're excited about it.
0: Oh, I I'm envious cuz uh my alma mater has never even sniffed the tournament. So <laughs> my my alma mater has sniffed the tournament a couple of times but it's
1: few and far between. So uh yeah. shout out to the University of Wyoming. We hope to uh hope to get back there soon. Mm,
0: nice. Jim kicks old school.
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Jim so. Kick and Jay Novacek.
0: Yeah, and um, um, God, somebody else right now. It's it's the names escaping me. One of the stars in the NFL. Um, oh, uh, yeah, you it, know what I'm saying. Give, give us about five minutes and
1: we'll come up with it.
0: Right, right.
1: <laughs> well, now now one of the stars of the um, the current XFL is Brian Hill.
0: Oh, I didn't realize he went to Yeah, Miami.
1: Brian Brian Hill, Brian Hill is Powder River Letter Buck.
0: Wow. Wow. And it's funny cuz Wyoming, I mean, their stadium there, I know we're digressing here, but you know, you don't think of Wyoming about football, but then you see that stadium and you're like Man, if I lived in Wyoming, man, I'd be I'd I'd be buying season tickets just cuz and it's a beautiful not only is it a beautiful stadium, but the backdrop of of that stadium with the mountains and everything is just amazing.
1: Yeah, it's it, it really
0: is. It, now, in
1: in Wyoming, the the tailgating kind of takes precedent over the game. Sometimes it's similar to uh, TCU because I was I lived in the Fort Worth area for a while, yeah. and the 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 tailgating actually takes precedent. But they are the the Wyoming Cowboys fans are. Uh, very passionate which is a word that we'll get into later as well but yeah. they're they're very passionate they they love the school they they support the school because it it wasn't too long ago that they were talking about Wyoming possibly dropping to at that point one double a really now it's you know now it's a different name now but yeah, but yeah they, so
0: I'm like you I'd still it always be one double a or one a to me because that's what we grew up with um yeah. I, I didn't realize, I didn't know that they were talking about pay, possibly, I'm glad they didn't. I mean, it's, you know, do you think they'll ever make it? Do you ever think, you think at this point, the way the SEC is going, you think they'll ever make a push into Wyoming to try to get Wyoming, schools like Wyoming? Because I can see that's where we're going or becoming a Big Ten school.
1: I, You know, I don't think so. I, I think the enrollment at Wyoming and and the national interest in Wyoming will probably keep, them out of out of the big conferences. Now at some point, the way it's looking, it looks like college football is going to become basically two or three big conferences and everybody else is going to go by the wayside. So if that happens, there's a small possibility, but I, I I just don't see Wyoming gaining the interest. I mean you know Josh Allen really put him on the map, and it That's the that number. That's long. the name I
0: was looking. I was I was trying to remember. Josh Allen played at Wyoming.
1: Yeah, I mean, the when when the Bills took that gamble and and took that high of a pick on Josh Allen, and after his first year, all the all the naysayers came out and and said, you know, Buffalo wasted that pick. They got a quarterbacks coach in. They coached him up. Now you know. Yeah. Now he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And that's where, you know, that's where Wyoming really got their um, their step up. But to see them in a major conference, it would probably take the NCAA going down to three major conferences for Wyoming to ever get a shot at that.
0: Okay. yeah, no, it's it's funny because the world I mean, the world that we grew up in. And I kind of, you know, they always say the good old days aren't always that good. But I I do kind of miss the old days when it was the bowl game was it. And then you had your national champion picked. Now, again, I'm from Illinois. So it's not like any of our schools in the state had any skin in the game whatsoever. Uh, But there was just something about a purity. Just, I don't know. It may, again, I'm putting on my 12 year, my 10 year old rose colored glasses. And because what we got now it's, it's so different. College mm-hmm. football, the feel of it, um, everything. It's just so different from what we grew up with. And and that's, and that's why we're here talking, and, you know, talking USFL. Um, so when it comes to the USFL, how did the USFL... Talking about nostalgia and everything, because I know that's what it was born out of. Obviously, the USFL project began... Well, after the USFL lived and died, how did the US how did the USFL project come to be? <laughs> so, you know, it, it's kind of a strange story.
1: Um, my love for the USFL was reinvigorated in my 20s. And I had I'd gotten an email from a company that said they were hosting and I'll never forget this. They were hosting Mike Rozier and Archie Griffin for an autograph signing, and it was it was like I became, you know, nine years old again. I was like, uh, oh my gosh, those two are both USFL alums. They're both Heisman Trophy winners, and so I went and found a company that had these USFL helmets. I don't know if they made them or, or if they sold them. I ordered a couple. I contacted the company. It was doing the signings, and i sent those two helmets off to the signings when i got them back in the box it was like it, i mean i'm literally like opening christmas presents i was like i knew i know what's in here but i haven't seen it right because you know at that time they weren't sending pictures of you know the signing the signed items and stuff like that so i'm opening the box and it, it's just like christmas and when i pulled them out I pulled out a beautiful Pittsburgh Maulers helmet signed by Mike Rozier in white and a beautiful Jacksonville Bulls helmet mm. signed by Archie Griffin, signed in jet black. And I decided to start the USFL project. Now, I started the USFL project as a page. And then the group came later. And I'll talk to you about
0: that here in a minute. But I, I remember, page. I read. I- that's how I stumbled across the USFL project. Was finding the page.
1: Yeah, and and the page was started. Here, here was my ultimate goal. You, are you ready for this big, multi-million-dollar idea that I had that was going to just take over the world, and I was going to end up being Time's Magazine Man of the Year? <laughs> here, here's the idea. I wanted to get one helmet from each team in the usfl signed by one of the main players from from that team that was the goal that it was 19 it was supposed to be 19 helmets that i was gonna be done and then as it evolved i was getting i was getting more comments i was getting more you need to do this i was i was actually getting people that were sending me links to signings going hey I know that you don't have anybody from the Tampa Bay bandits and this, this player is doing a signing in Tampa in, in April. Yeah. I mean, I I was legitimately getting help from the people on the page nice. and we started getting requests for, you know, where is this person now? Where, where is so-and-so where is so-and-so? And so I started the group so that people could share news about you know, about the alumni and about what they were doing, how, you know, everything, everything good, everything positive. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not always rainbows and unicorns, but, you know, we, we wanted to have that group where people could share their love for the USFL. And in a very, very small part, we could be part of keeping the USFL history alive.
0: And you guys have done a hell of a job doing it because I mean, when the internet, the the great thing about the internet was when it started guys like you and me who are passionate about football passionate about leagues that we love well now we we've got we we find we found a place all of us can we, we found our tribe mm-hmm. and that's i remember when i stumbled yeah. upon the usfl project i'm like oh wow okay i'm not the only one that still loved it you know I'm like, okay, I'm not, there's somebody out there that cares. So that's what, um, when I found you guys and it, it's been a while ago, I mean, you guys been going long for how long now?
1: Oh, we've been going well over 15 years.
0: Yeah. I mean, that just tells you, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at, you know, you guys have a Facebook page and you've got an independent website too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And, now, um,
1: the, now the web, the website's still under construction. Where are you know, right. we, we're, the group that's doing this, and I and I have to give a quick shout out, and I, I don't like doing commercials during podcasts and everything, but I have to give a, a shout out. Um, you know, Tom Cadle, um Rob, Beth, Channing, our our admin team and our moderators. Yeah, you guys team. got a gr-
0: you guys have a great crew. I know yeah, it's and not, it, yeah. they
1: everybody does it for the love of the usfl we no nobody gets paid nobody makes a dime i mean it's all on our own time but i i legitimately have the best team i could have possibly assembled if i would have gone out to zip recruiter and put out you know an ad to come up with this admin team i would not have come up with a better admin team that i have right now
0: oh nice nice yeah it's too bad you guys aren't aren't making money, you know, you thank God you're doing it for free. Cause that's really the best way to do any of our, our football fandom stuff. But yeah, I am retired and kind of looking for new work. So I'm like, Oh no, you guys aren't paying oh, me. But <laughs> I would definitely, I definitely be happy to join your team if, if, if a spot were available, because I love, I mean, yeah, much like you got, I mean, it's just the nostalgia um, it's the nostalgia, the memory. I mean, you and I, as you and I were talking before we hit the record button, I can still vividly remember where I was as a kid when I first heard the USFL was starting that, that memory is kind of more fuzzy, but I vividly remember watching that very first USFL game and it was a Chicago Blitz, the Washington Federals. Mm-hmm. It was a rainy day. Um, um was a quarterback for the Federals. Greg Landry was a quarterback of the Blitz And he had George Allen on the sidelines. And as a kid, 15-year-old kid, remembering a lot of these players from back in the NFL during the 70s, it was like uh, there was that moment. And again, I was watching the game. And for those who are listening that don't remember, but there was a time when all we could, you know, most people watch their TV via an aerial TV with a bit of snow you know, I mean, it wasn't the best. I lived on the outskirts of Chicago. So uh, at times, you know, the, the reception wasn't the best, depending upon the weather. That's how we watched it. And that was, you know, we had a pregame show. I forget, um, the USFL had a pregame show that led right into that. And boom, we were ready to go. There wasn't any of this hype, the build-up, the social media. It was what you read in the paper. It was what you saw on news clips on TV. And boom, you're ready to go. So, and that's so that's those are my first memories of the USFL. So, um, and and one of the uh, one of the commentators was, oh, let me tell you about Keith Jackson. Oh yeah,
1: yep, <sighs> Keith Jackson and Lynn Swan,
0: and uh, Jim Lampley was doing uh, was in the was at the studio. Yes, he was. And uh, let me give a
1: quick shout out to Mike Owensy. He's a he he is a I great fan that... of the USFL project. He's uh, I mean, I. I followed Mike because he was USFL alumni, yeah. but he's actually a very great motivator, and I love I love seeing his posts about motivating young athletes. He's still involved in the game. Yeah, I and... was going to ask.
0: you, what's he? Uh, and I'm I'm um because he was you know he was head coach at head coach the Chicago Rush for years. Mm-hmm. I saw him coaching. Um, is he still in the Chicago area? Is he still coaching? Or I mean, what's is he? Um, you know, I don't.
1: I, I wouldn't really feel comfortable talking about oh, what no, area if he's fine. in, but um, but yeah, he's he is still very involved in Good. in football, and and he's he's really doing a lot to shape um young football players into what they need to be to step up to the next level, and that's one of the things I really really appreciate about Mike is that um he he still has that fire. And yeah. he's passing that fire onto um onto the next generation of of kids that we're gonna see playing at the collegiate and pro level.
0: Well, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I've always I always enjoyed him as a coach of the rush because that's where I mean, saw him play obviously for the Federals. Um, but you know, for me being from Chicago, I mean, he's very well known. He's he's very well known in Chicago, you know, for his time. Um with the Russian and unfortunately, you know we're not talking arena football league but you know there's another league too that um <laughs> you know people still have a great passion for and our buddy Tim Capper um on the sports history network he he does his arena football league uh uh podcast too so uh yeah. you know shout out to Tim if he's listening uh, uh he's, you he's know what? a great I'll, podcast
1: I'll I'll tell you what I own I own two arena football league Many helmets and they're both signed by the man the myth the legend and somebody who's become a dear friend to me the sack man john corker nice and they are from the miami hooters oh one wow. of the best names ever in football
0: that was uh yeah that was just like hooters and then you see the. oh i remember when i first saw that I'm like, the miami hooters that's a great that's oh, a it's great, a great name. It, yeah. it was
1: a great concept. And, and, and since the Arena Football League's coming back, Hooters should invest again. They should do that again because that is a great concept.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bring it. You know what? And it's much like here in Japan. So in Japan, the mm-hmm. team names are um, based upon the company that sponsors them. Mm-hmm. So that'd be a great concept for the Arena Football League. You know, throw the company name in there that sponsors the team, like the Hooters like hooters wings you know i mean thinking you know um because here in japan our football teams like with the x league and everything i mean it's based on the company um you know the fujitsu frontiers you've got the panasonic impulse um but yeah for the arena league moving forward maybe they'll think hey maybe we should you know slap a slap a company logo on there hopefully that will help it stick around for a lot longer than than you know hopefully it'll make make for a successful comeback. So
1: yeah, and uh, and and two things. One, I, I don't know if this is still the case because I I followed minor league baseball for a long time and I followed professional baseball, obviously, but um I went over a lot of years ago, probably 15, 16 years ago, and I was a guest of Bobby Valentine, and he was the manager of the Chiba Lote yeah. Maroons at the time. Yeah. I don't know if that's still the the team name.
0: Yeah, still a team but- name. He's a legend here in Japan.
1: Yeah, I, I spent I spent six or seven days over in Chiba with him and got really? a whole a, a whole new appreciation for baseball because when when you listen to the fans in the crowd and they have different chants for every single player. Oh yeah. It's it's incredible to listen to that stadium.
0: It is, yeah. It is. The baseball here is it's so entertaining to watch. Um, with the world baseball classic watching there, there've been five games here in Japan. I watched four because the Japanese team is so dominant that I thought the semi, the quarterfinal game with Italy was a practice game because they were just the Japanese team is just completely unstoppable. So, but yeah, you see this baseball, and you know, with baseball being such a national passion here. Um, and I know people maybe have heard me do my other podcast, gridiron Japan, um, there's three of us over there that host that podcast and it's John Gunning with the Japan times. It's BJ Beatty, former star of the Obic seagulls. And we're like, man, football could be so big in this country. And you see what baseball is here. And it's just, we always lament that it's like, Oh man, football could be so big here because of the teamwork. It just represents everything about Japan that the Japanese hold dear teamwork, self-sacrifice. You know, not putting yourself, not putting your numbers above somebody else's numbers, at least theoretically. I mean, we know you and I both know back in the States that a lot of football players don't quite think that way, but you know, that's (laughs) (laughs) so, yeah. And,
1: uh, you know, the the funny thing about Japan was Bobby was the first one that taught me that cold sake is actually the higher end sake. Because yeah. um, Americans do what they do, and they Americanized it. And so they started creating, you know, doing this warm sake. Yeah. And the warm sake is actually the cheap stuff. The cold sake is the way to go. And I did oh, not yeah, know that. Yeah. But I got yeah. I got a great education from Bobby on a lot of things.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Last night, my father-in-law was over. He's 85 years old, can barely walk. But he's doing good. He brought his shochu over. Like you want shochu? I go no, no. That's that stuff will fuck, fuck, fuck me up when it. <laughs> when it <laughs> and you know Japanese beer. I'm sure you had when you were over there, over here. That oh was, yeah, you're full of Japanese beer. Japanese beer here is the best. Though with that said, I do miss at home with the craft beers because there's so many. You know, America has changed so much in the last say 40 years. Um, we'll use 80, 83 would be a good starting point because that's you know when the USFL started that, you know, trying to describe to somebody here in Japan, what the beer select, I go, it's just, we have such, we have too many choices in America, but that when it comes to beer, that's okay. Though, you know, you think back to when, you know, the USFL started in 83, we didn't have a whole lot of choices, much like TV channels and stuff like that. So, um, you know, so when the USFL started, again, we didn't have a lot of choices. We had the NFL and That was pretty much it. So for people who don't know, when it comes to the USFL, the USFL just didn't spring up overnight. There was, this had been percolating, not so much for months or years, but hell, for at least a decade. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to people how the USFL came about? So David Dixon,
1: who is a genius in my opinion, He had the idea for the United States Football League in the 60s and he he moved forward with this plan to create a new league, basically to go head to head with the NFL. Now, what happened is. During that point. The NFL basically offered him a franchise, which became the New Orleans Saints. And so David Dixon became very involved with the New Orleans Saints for almost twenty years, maybe even a little right. over twenty years. And then, when he got out from the Saints, he was like, you know, this idea still works. And so he went to um, several different investors and said, "Hey, I've got this idea for a spring football league, and let me let me say this: when we talk about spring football leagues," There are a lot of people today that don't realize how much influence the USFL had. The USFL was not going after players that the NFL let go. The USFL was going after players that were actively involved in the draft. And you can see it when you look at the history of the USFL, you look at Jim Kelly Steve Young, Irv Eatman, Sam Mills. Uh, I mean, they they now Sam Mills. Sam Mills is a great uh, a great case for the USFL because he was a player that was shunned by the NFL. They said he was too small. They said he was too light. They said he couldn't play. And the USFL said, "Come on, come come over here, come play." And we actually and again in a very very small part we actually got involved in the campaign last year to get Sam Mills inducted into the pro football hall of fame which he should have been inducted in the pro football hall of fame 10 years ago right. and i'm being very very gracious on that but we got involved in the um in the campaign to to get him inducted into the hall of fame and we're we're very proud to just have a small part in that But but the again, the USFL, they they went they they're the only league and man, Richie Franklin, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I know that we don't agree on this because he is very big on the World Football League history. But the USFL, in my opinion, is the only football league that has ever gone head to head with the NFL, except for um, the AFL, which was absorbed by the nfl those are the only two leagues in my opinion that have ever gone head to head with the nfl
0: yeah and i agree because i mean i know enough about world football league history to know that uh while they attempted to go head to head they fell far 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 short Mm
1: -hmm. but
0: it's an interesting the wfl is a great uh how do you want to say great lesson learned in hubris and uh overconfidence (laughs) But the USFL, it was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call the USFL. I mean, there's when the USFL started, like you said, it went head to head. It grabbed talent immediately and served as a wake-up notice to the NFL that, Hey, just because you have them, don't think, you know, don't get too comfortable with yourself because back at that time, salaries were really low. Um, You know, a lot of, I mean, the stadiums that we have now were just completely science fiction back then because back then in the in the say late 70s early 80s you know about half the league played in baseball parks and when the USFL there there is a moment in in football history where you kind of see things really changing and when the USFL came on board that's when the world that we know now started to exist started to come into being
1: yeah exactly because the the salaries in the nfl would not be at the at the amounts that they are without the usfl because the nfl finally had competition and they and the usfl to their credit and to their detriment the usfl was paying players what they should have been paid and and maybe even a little bit more. The right. problem was that David Dixon, David Dixon had a great plan to go up against the NFL. He had a fantastic plan. But the owners did not follow that plan because they got that they got that taste of success. Right. And then they started spending and you know, you can uh, you can look at the original 12 teams and and see that they they just overspent. I mean, the Michigan Panthers they bought basically the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line. Mm-hmm. They just went they just went out and bought them. And you know, as, as much as the Panthers are beloved, the owner of the Panthers w- was part of the problem along with the other owners. They got that sweet taste of success, and they went out and started overspending. And that's part of part of the demise of the US part of the demise of the USFL started in the first season, whether people want to acknowledge that or not. It was in the first season when the owners were overspending that the USFL was already starting to go downhill with such a great product.
0: Yeah, I mean, they they were they were maxing out the credit cards that they had and then some and a lot of these owners. Well, maybe on paper they looked financially good. The reality was is they were cashing checks that their bank accounts could not. They were were, were writing out checks that their bank accounts could not possibly cash.
1: They were robbing Peter Peter to pay Paul.
0: Right, right. And so when they came into the league, so when we first started with the USFL, we had 12 teams. And, you know, those 12 teams were in 12 12 US – those 12 teams were in 12 – Cities, some of which were NFL team cities, some of which were not. Um, and you had some great. I mean, like the Denver Gold is like one of those teams that nobody really ever talks about with USFL history, it seems like. And to me, they were one of the more successful franchises in the USFL. I think they kept and again, I'm a Red Miller fan, and Red Miller coached at Western Illinois University and went to Western Illinois which is where I went. So I'm kind of, I was very partial to, once I found out Red Miller was a, was a leatherneck, I'm like, ooh, okay, now I've got, and then so I started looking a little bit deeper in, say, Denver Broncos history, but Denver Gold history too. But with the franchise, they were one of the more relatively successful ones. Um, would you agree with that? I mean, am I, am I wrong on that?
1: No, I absolutely agree with that because they had they had great attendance, almost through the entire three years of the USFL, they went through a major coaching change when Craig Morton ended up taking over. Yeah. I mean, they, they went through a lot and those fans, those fans did not care. They showed up and they rooted on that team, no matter who was in charge, no matter who was on the field, the, the Denver gold are probably one of the unsung heroes of the USFL because that that town embraced that team and they put them on their shoulders and they were, they tried to carry them. They really did.
0: Yeah. And then you go to the, another extreme, you put a team out in LA put the express out there and you put them in, uh, you know what? I mean, yeah. I mean, you put them in the Memorial Coliseum and obviously that, uh, at least visual wise, when you tune in to see a game, yeah. I mean, you might have 20, let's just say hypothetically 20,000 or 30,000 in a game. It's still going to look like nobody's at the game unfortunately, but as it turned out li- really nobody was going to those LA Express games.
1: You know, and that that's the problem with with the um with the cities that have entertainment. Yeah. And and I'm going to I'm going to pick on I'm going to pick on LA, but I'm going to pick on another franchise because it it's just one of those cities there's too much to do. LA the the people have shown time and time again that they don't care about professional football. There, there are too many entertainment options in LA. They're out, they're out dining, they're out traveling, they're out hiking. There's too many things to do in LA for LA to substantiate any kind of professional, almost professional sport. The only, the only exception is the Lakers because the Lakers have that history and, there will always be fans at Lakers games. The Clippers right. have just have just come about in our lifetime because I mean the Clippers were like one season away from getting you know moved somewhere else because nobody was going to Clippers games. Yeah. But the other city I see in our conversation is Orlando. They took the Washington Federals, moved them to Orlando, and there there is. There's way too much to do in Orlando. The nightlife, the 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 scene, everything. And I think you're seeing that with the Orlando Guardians of the XFL now. The Was people it, of Orlando have way too many options that
0: they they're just not going to go to to pro sports. So when the Orlando, so when Washington moved to Orlando in terms of attendance, so the or, the attendance in Orlando it fall pretty much fall flat on its face. Cause I, that 85 season in my memory is still fuzzy. Cause that was. College yeah, years. Yeah. College years. That again, that
1: <laughs> that again, um, you know, I think, I think with Orlando there were a lot of different problems. The, the, the fans in Washington wanted them to stay. I I don't really, well, I've got a, I've got a little bit of an idea, but I'm still kind of piecing that story together. Yeah. But the fans in Washington did not want to lose the Federals. And I think Orlando came in presenting a option that wasn't really there. Because if you remember, Howard Schnellenberger was supposed to be the coach of the Orlando Renegades. Yeah,
0: that's right.
1: And he came in and then he abruptly left and, Luckily for the Renegades, they got Lee Corso, who, right. you know, yes. fabulous man, good head coach. He just couldn't do anything with Orlando, probably because the team was out partying at all hours. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, you know, LA, Orlando, those big cities, they, you know, with the nightlife, they struggle. Yeah, if If you don't, if you don't handle your business and don't, you know, Make sure that the guys are, you know, right. in by ten o'clock or whatever. It's those are hard cities to, um, those are hard cities to have pro sports in.
0: Yeah, and then we had the Chicago, we had the Chicago Blitz and the Arizona Wranglers too, and the Annals of Sports History. It's one of the strangest stories ever in terms of franchise moves and relocations. And to me, I look at that right there, and it, it when I look at all that happened there very symbolic of in many ways why the league eventually went away because you had it it just seemed i just the, the the ownership situation with both of those franchises just still boggles my mind after all these years how they were able to swap franchises and ultimately you know chicago wasn't around in 85 yeah and that that franchise swap shouldn't have
1: happened but you know unfortunately that's that's one of the that's one of the many things that the USFL is remembered for um and you know it i guess historically it's um you know it's kind of neat to look back on i mean there's a lot of different things with the USFL there were a lot of innovations with um you know, the challenge flag, the, right, um, you know, this, that, the other, that you can look at the USFL, the, the franchise swap between Chicago and Arizona, um, the, the breakers being the only team in professional history that have held the same name, but have been in three different cities, three different Boston, cities. New Orleans, and Portland. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many oddities with the USFL that make it that make it great, and I think I think that's why we're passionate about it because there's so many things that came out of the USFL that were oddly fantastic,
0: and it was, and it's like it's still like to me the greatest what if, like man, because they had some great teams. You had the Philadelphia Stars, and I know you and I had talked about this on Twitter, just messaging back and forth, but you know it wasn't until recently, in the last couple of years, um, you know I got involved playing simulation football Mm -hmm. through dave cook sports they've got a great program and i'm like what if the philadelphia stars and the san francisco to play each now there's at least a way computer wise to figure out how the usfl would have stacked up it could be way off base but for guys like you and i that when we talk football we become 12 year olds again it's like Okay, yeah, let's 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 give this a shot. But I haven't done it yet, to to play each other's champions. But the USFL to me represents the greatest what if. And I know people get wound up, and this is where, you know, uh, was it two year and a half ago? Sat down with Jeff Pearl, Scott and I, and mm-hmm. we talked about his book, which Football for a Buck is, you know what that is a great weekend read no matter you know perlman's awesome he writes i went a little bit too fanboy on him during the interview and i i still feel bad about that but when i talk to great authors for books i love i really i mean hell i talked to brett forrest uh last week talking about his great book about the xfl long bomb which if you haven't read or uh, for people who have not read the book it is well worth reading because it uh much like uh, football for a book, it's a great tale. And you just walk away from it going, okay, now I better understand. And, um, but people get, when it comes to the USFL, a lot of attention is paid to one man, which I don't think is really fair and without going into politics or anything, but the USFL, like you said, was kind of going, uh, was, was starting to dig its own grave. sorry i'm having a i'm having oh, that, a
1: communication issue here oh
0: that's okay i can hear you you're good i see you plugging in something over there oh i, hope, I you good? hope you can
1: edit me here because
0: oh yeah no no we got it we got you perfect yeah all right we got if you could if you i would see be did safe... you just plug in a land cord i did oh no you're perfect man it's we're no, no I, I plugged whatsoever. in a charging cord because my oh. uh my phone battery has decided. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So if you gotcha. could throw that question at me one more okay. time. I'd appreciate um it. yeah. So when it comes to USFL talking about, you know, there's a lot of there are a lot of fingers to blame and a lot of people. But I think one person who gets kind of unfairly targeted is is Trump. And I say that because people, you know, we all know how it ended with, with the league, but he bought into the league the second year. So the troubles with the league did not start with him. They may have ended with him, but they started with him. And when it comes to, when he bought into the league, I don't recall. I mean, I know he was spending, I mean, did he spend even more money on the generals than what was being spent elsewhere? You know there
1: there are stories out there that um, that the reason Trump bought into the USFL is because the NFL told him that he couldn't buy the Buffalo Bills, and that that story's been out there uh, you know since since before the USFL was alive. Right. And you're right, there are. I'm going to go to this word again, but there are fanatics out there that want to put the blame completely on Trump now let me say this and let me be clear i have feelings about donald trump i'm not going to share those i'm not going to talk about it that's not something we talk about in the usfl project we that's one of the rules is we do not talk politics or derogatory or anything else that being said donald trump is not the reason that the usfl failed there were, there were a ton of different problems. And, again, it goes back to the owners not following the Dixon plan. And Had they a... followed the Dixon plan, right? This, I don't think this would have been an issue. Yeah. But they didn't follow it. So Trump may, may very well have been the nail in the coffin, but he was not the reason that right. the USFL went away.
0: Right. And that's, you know, when I talk to people, you know, obviously – not while recording a podcast or anything but just talking in general because you know there's a lot of people out there when you mention the USFL first of all a lot of people don't even remember what the USFL was especially you know people that are say 20 years younger than us that love football that you know and we're going to talk about what's been happening in the 21st century with spring football here in a little bit but don't know about and that about the history of spring football and not knowing the history of the USFL, to me, when it comes to being a football fan, it's almost like, you know, I don't know if you're a football fan, I think it's great to be a football fan, but I think to really, to really understand football, you've got to be able to look back. You need to take time and just appreciate the history, which is why thank God for NFL films because without NFL films, and I'll say this, it is a bit of a propaganda arm but without that propaganda arm, this this guy right here would not be the fan he is because of John Facenda, Steve Sable, the music, the everything about it. And same way with the USFL, because when the USFL came about, you're younger than me, it made a deep, deep impression on you that lasts until this day. And even with me now, obviously, you can see we're not doing video here, but if people could see I've got quite a bit of football stuff in the background my u s f l pennants did make the trip to Japan. unfortunately, I can't put them up here because i my place is rented um but also my u s f l mini helmets my other u s f l stuff is still sitting in a in a garage in california waiting waiting to come over here at some point um but when it comes to the u s f l without it, nothing else i mean like you said the u s f l is the reason why I think pro football you can make an argument why pro football is so popular today because that woke the the NFL up saying okay we got to up our game here because 20 years later you know the game is 20, 40 years later the game is is more science fiction is less science fiction than it was say 40 40 years prior but a lot of the innovations brought about by the USFL and these other spring leagues have now since been adopted by the NFL. And what we're watching nowadays is very much kind of like back when I was a grade, in grade school, there was a great Sports Illustrated article about the future of football. And if you read it now, 40 years on, or actually almost 50 years on, it's amazing how many of these predictions got right in terms of, let's um, just say with, with camera angle shots and everything like that. So I'm sorry. I'm like... Uh, What's going on here? Um, When it comes to the innovations that the USFL made, tell people what those were because I think people, a lot of people, just don't know what the USFL brought to modern day football.
1: I mean the the big innovations were were the uh, challenge flag, right? Which they had to use a rotary phone. Do you think anybody that's listening knows what a rotary phone is? Because I know you and I are very well versed on the rotary phone, especially the one with the twenty foot cord so you, you can yeah. walk to the house.
0: Well and... I would say about half the people do because I know with sports history network it's a sports <laughs> history network. So you know about half our people remember you know, you know, still remember those rotary phones. But the other half, yeah, no, they don't. Or the old school um the the, the touch button ones, but they were still made of the same indestructible plastic as the rotary ones. But they were a little Absolutely.
1: less Yep, absolutely.
0: You know, and the other thing was the uh,
1: the two-point conversion. I yeah. mean, the two-point conversion really became a, a a big deal in the USFL and so you know, you can link the you can link the USFL back to a lot of innovations in football and for me that's that's what we're that's what we're aiming for is yeah. all of these players now have kids and grandkids and maybe great grandkids and we we want to reach those people we want to reach those kids so because a lot of the players that played in the USFL that was their only pro football experience right and and we want those kids grandkids great grandkids we want them to have a place where they can go and see oh my gosh my my dad my grandpa my great grandpa he played in this football league. That's that's why it's so important for us because when you and I are gone, yeah. if there's nobody to carry over the history past us and there's nobody responsible enough to tell it correctly, right. then then it's gone. And I and and we we as a team do not want that. We want the USFL to be projected the way it was, which was one of the only competitors to the NFL and a true professional football league. And, you
0: know, yeah, I, yeah, that's what I, that's what, you know, you and I were talking a little bit before we hit the record button and we're talking about documentaries and when it comes to the USFL, not only your website, but there's that one documentary that we have from ESPN 30 for 30 small potatoes, about the history of the of the USFL, are there any more documentaries coming out that you're aware of with the USFL? Anything on the table that you've heard?
1: I have and this has been this has been years, but I've heard of a couple of documentaries that maybe be maybe coming out about specific teams or specific people. But I think they are still working on funding.
0: Okay. Because I know there's one on YouTube, and that's going to kind of segue into my next topic here, which I know you're, you, oh, I think you're going to love my, my question about the next topic. But there's one documentary about the Tampa Bay Bandits that's on yes. YouTube that you can watch for free. So here's the one question I have for you that I really they haven't really talked to anybody about. The Tampa Bay ownership group, there was one man involved in that that was at the time one of the was the biggest movie star in America. And that was Burt Reynolds. And his involvement with John Bassett, and John Bassett is another, I mean, without John John Bassett, I don't even know how to you could I'd have to let you maybe take the floor on that one to describe John Bassett, how how um legendary a figure he is in sports not only with the world football league but with the world hockey league i'm sorry the world hockey association but he owned the tampa bay bandits and burt reynolds was part owner of that have you guys drilled deep on the history of the bandits there at the usfl project in terms of you know burt's involvement with john bassett i mean that's to me that's always like been a fascinating part of this league's history, just, you know, for those that just, you know, there's a picture of Lonnie Anderson in a Tampa Bay bandits shirt out there, like on a football card. So, you know, culturally, I mean, this, the USFL was, was part of pop culture back in the eighties. So what, what can you tell What What were the Tampa Bay bandits under Burt Reynolds and John Bassett like? So John
1: Bassett should be in the pro sports hall of fame, pro sports hall of fame. He he was instrumental in so many things. The World Hockey League, the World Hockey Association, the USFL. John, Bash, John Bassett should be in every single sports hall of fame that he's eligible for. Um, Burt Reynolds' involvement was very hands-on when he, when he could. I mean, obviously, right. he was one of the biggest movie stars at the time, and Lonnie Anderson was right there with him. So, but... They you know, I don't know if you know this, but before the season each year with the Tampa Bay Bandits, they hosted a party called Burt's Bash.
0: No, I didn't know that.
1: Oh, you know what? i'll uh I'll text you a picture because I've got a ticket from one of them. Oh wow. But they hosted Burt's Bash, and every bandits player that I've talked to said Bert was so welcoming. They, I mean, he had it, he had it at the stadium, and then he would have one event at his house where he would invite all the players over and they, you know, they would go and hang out and everything else. But, but Bert and Bert and Lonnie were very, you know, hands on. They wanted to know what was going on. If you watch that Bandits documentary, you see Bert a lot and you see Bert a lot in the stadium because he, he, he wanted, he wanted this. A lot. I mean, he was a he was a Florida State alum. He played yeah. football, and Bert, you know, really wanted this to to work.
0: And the thing is, with that team, they let Steve Spurrier coach. They were smart owners. They let Steve coach, and if I remember correctly, there was. I mean, Steve coached the team. That's where, and they took everything. And, and at Tampa Stadium, the Big Sombrero, they had great. Att- they were one of the leaders in in league attendance, pretty much the entire for the entire run of the league
1: oh yeah tampa those fans got because if you remember back in 83 i mean now yeah i love the creamsicle uniforms just as much as the next guy i Uh i legit think the buccaneers should bring those back because i thought those uniforms were fantastic they are but the tampa fans they they are rabid football fans and they needed somebody to a team to lock onto right. and they, they locked onto the
0: bandits and, it, and the bandits were a winner right out of the gate, you know, definitely compared to what they had it, during the fall, you know, with the Buccaneers, because at, at that point, the Buccaneers I think were pretty much the worst team in the league as they usually, let's face it for most of our lives growing up, they usually have been near the bottom of everything. So, but yeah, they were star for a winner and you see that. I mean, no, they had the, they had the the horse come running out, of the stadium, I think every time they scored a touchdown, that horse, they would do like uh, what's what they used I don't know if they. St- I don't think they still do. But in Kansas City, every time the, the Chiefs scored, that horse had run around the stadium. Yeah,
1: and you know, and the like I said, the the Buccaneers and football fans were looking for something different. And if you watch any of the football follies videos from that time, yeah, uh, you know the the Buccaneers were fifty percent of the video. And you know, and I hate saying that because because Tom Cadle, who's part of our team, he was a right. he was a Buccaneers and and Bandits fan. So
0: yeah,
1: I'm just saying, you, you know, the the Bandits they um they they really had good attendance. They had good fan support, and they had good fan support not only during the season but in the off season when they yeah. when the players would you know go and and you know, have other jobs to make ends meet the the fans were there to support those guys. So Tampa, I mean, yeah. and obviously, you know it, it, in that same breath, you know the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers survived because of the bandits because once the bandits folded, the football fans had to have somewhere to go right And I'll tell you this, I don't think the Jacksonville Jaguars,
0: well, that's what any, I was just gonna actually you were you just t- you just took the thought right out of my head that's where I was going with my next question um, the Jacksonville Bulls listen if there weren't a Jacksonville Bulls there'd be no Jacksonville Jaguars. You're exactly right
1: that they without without the Bulls, the Jacksonville Jaguars would not exist they wouldn't there's yeah. there's no way because Jacksonville that city showed pro football, that they wanted a team that they could stand back and support. And if you look at the old photos from Jacksonville, those stands are
0: full. Oh, yeah, it is. It, those those pictures are way back when. And that, you know, I mean, you know, last week there was a tweet that came out from The Rock about how the XFL Battle Hawks have set the all-time spring attendance record. And you and I both on Twitter. And I do the, I do the XFL Infowars show, which, you know, kind of look at go beyond the hype and look and try to get past the BS and just, you know, and you and I were both right there going, what WTF? Hell no. And it was that the Tampa, I'm sorry. Um, Jacksonville, they blew all records. Cause how much it was over 70,000. I forget the, the, the actual total, but, and they played in the, and at the time it was called the Gator bowl what was the attendance for that game um what was the attendance for the highest highest attended what was the number for the highest attended game in the USFL well
1: i'm glad i'm glad we got to that subject because i hope Dwayne the Rock Johnson is listening to this podcast because he put out a tweet that is 100% factually inaccurate he said that the St. Louis Battle Hawks set the spring league attendance record at 39,000. Well, Dwayne, if you want to go one on one with the mediocre one, then let's go. <laughs> the USFL from 83 to 85 had 18 games that were over 50,000 people. They had five games that were over sixty thousand people, and they had two games that were over seventy thousand people. So whenever Dwayne wants to retract that tweet, I'll be right here, and my number is easy to find.
0: <laughs> and that's been, you know, that's been the frustrating thing. You and I are both spring football fans, and I've heard people, a lot of people, call me a hater for for my memes you know, my memes, I think are spot on. They Uh don't, I don't mean to demean. I just like telling the truth through funny memes. I mean, that's it. The reality is, is what the reality is. And you're sitting here and I do love your hat. It's an old school. Mm -hmm. It's a 47 relax fit Dallas renegades hat. Yep. I love that hat. And it's, I love that style. I got a whole bunch of the same style. I don't, but I don't have any XFL caps, but I love the powder blue too. So Which to me, when it comes to the XFL, I'm still upset that the Roughnecks aren't wearing Oiler Blue, but Oiler Columbia Blue. But that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother sore spot because I'm a, I'm a Houston Roughnecks fan. I know you're an Arlington Renegades fan. Um, but when it comes to spring football, so let's fit, we're fast forward 20. So here we are. We are the first XFL. We obviously know how that all fell apart. But then we move forward almost another 20 years, and it just seems like memories are very, very short when it comes to spring football. We know why spring football in 2000, not only in 2001, but even 10 years before with the World League of American Football, neither one of those succeeded. And there's a variety of factors, but it seemed to me with – it was either fan apathy, bad marketing, um, Vince McMahon, bad ratings, but when it comes to th- the USFL didn't have that they had great marketing they had great ratings they had great attendance but now fast forward even further and here we are in what 2023 and in the course of the last 5 years we have seen okay help me out here i'm going to count so we got the all american football we got we got the alliance of american football gone that was 20 19 i want to say yeah okay so 2020 xfl version 2.0 failed and you know what i'll just call it a draw because pandemic just destroyed everything okay and then we also in there we had spring league and then they repainted and then they they slapped a new coat of paint on and and took over the usfl know, became usfl 2.0 and you and i i know when that came i mean I'm just gonna tell you my reaction. I'm like, okay, that's not the real USFL. They're just borrowing, you know. uh, it's great. You guys want to honor them, you know, what you're you know, Doug Flutie came. I'm like, okay, but it's again, it's a new coat of paint. It was the spring league, but just with the new coat of paint. And then he got and so here, and then the XFL 3.0 coming out. So to me, it just seemed and I and I'm I sound exasperated because. Listen, you and I both love football. We, when when we're not talking, we're talking back and forth. Hey, you watching the game? Yeah, I'm watching the game. Hey, it's, 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 it's it's enjoyable football. Between the lines, I have no complaints because right now we're at a point where we ain't got much football. We got basketball. We got a lot of other sports competing for our attention, so it's nice to have that game. I know the Brahmas are playing right now. Um, uh, after you and I get off here, I'll be watching the very last part of that. But here we are, the spring leagues, it just seems to me, have not read their history books, have not learned from the past. Would you agree on that? I mean, I am i hate sounding like a lawyer putting you under, under cross-examination um, with the isn't it true type thing. But I, I think you and I are on the same page when it comes to that, because you and I both get frustrated when we see hyperbolic statements coming out by the Rock saying, this is the greatest ever. This I'm like, okay, but yeah have you guys read a history book? And when he makes a statement, like it's the largest tense ever in spring football. And then the reaction on social media that goes along with it. Oh yeah. It's the greatest. It's like, Oh my God. It's just, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting old. Maybe that's it. (laughs) just getting old and exasperated. Well, you know, remember the rock is a hype machine. So
1: he grew up in professional wrestling. So he watched his dad, in televised, you know, um, you know, set up matches. He's, he's, this is the only thing he knows. And when he succeeded in wrestling, he went to acting and acting is all scripted. And this is the only thing that the rock knows. And I, I get it. I understand, but there's two things that hold the spring legs back and and what? Before I get into that, let me be clear. I've watched all of these spring leagues from the yes. USFL to the to the um, World League of American Football to the Spring League to the XFL, and I will
0: probably watch a couple of games in what is this new USFL. Yeah. I, and you I've want watched... these leagues to succeed too. I mean, that's the thing. You want these leagues to succeed because these are kids we're talking about that want to make it to the next level, and these are jobs online. So neither you or I want to see any of these leagues fail. No.
1: I mean, I don't want to see any of the leagues fail, but I want them to do it right. Right. And right now I see two things that hold the spring league back. One, if, if somebody would just go back with the USFL or the XFL and pick up the David Dixon plan and see how it works, I think they would be fine. But the bigger problem is the NFL is a monopoly. Yeah. And it has been for years and years and years. Nobody is going to compete with the NFL unless they, I don't know, unless they get that funding and follow a certain plan there's nobody that's going to compete with the NFL because they, they are, and have been a monopoly for a long time.
0: Yeah. And yeah, back when the USFL came into being, you know, the, the, the NFL wasn't near as monopolistic as it is obviously today. It's nothing like, I mean, the NFL was really just a fall league and that was it. It wasn't a, it wasn't a year round league with a network and a constant hype machine. Um, I mean, every day, I mean, the NFL, you know, Dan Patrick, or is it Rich Eisen, one of the two said, um, you know, the NFL is the, uh, gives us a narrative every day, even, even during the off season at the USFL, they were the only one really, I mean, the AFL challenged and there's, you know, people throw the AFL out all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I grew up, I was born in the sixties. I was born when Lombardi coached the Packers and there were 14 NFL teams. And I tell people that, you know, like, what are you talking about? And I go, yeah, there was, well, there was the AFL, but those were two separate leagues and the AFL. I mean, just compare, it's literally apples to oranges as to where we are now. People say, well, the XFL can do this. Yeah. The XFL can do it, but the plan that they're following right now, I don't see a plan. Version 2.0 of the XFL seemed to have a plan. It seemed to be well thought out. Vince McMahon had the ownership, but he was hands off. I mean, ultimately he's the one that owned, you know, he's, he's the one that made the final decision, but as it was going along, I was impressed by how they did things with that second version, the AAF. And I like to call AAF XFL 1.5, because that was Charlie Ebersole's, you know, that, that whole thing for that league came out of his dad's experience Um but XFL 2.0 seemed to have their shit together. Obviously, pandemic completely destroyed everything. I mean, hell, we almost lost CFL, I think because of it, but that's all. The CFL is a whole different conversation unto itself because it just seems to survive, you know. It can be lit on fire, trounced on, but yet they come back. I don't, you know, but they have billionaire owners up there now that seem to be hopefully going to bring them, you know, make the CFL into what we all hope it can be when it comes to the spring leagues. It just seems like, you know, I just don't know, like the XFL right now, I really don't know what the plan is because, um, you know, you and I both saw it. It's like, okay, attendance is declining or it's kind of, you know, I'm just going to kind of without the battle Hawks, attendance is, you know, it, it, one team cannot hold a league together. And we know about that again, for those who have not read their history, go back and read the history of the American, All-American Football Conference. Without the Cleveland Browns, that whole conf- that would have folded quicker than what it did. Um, and, you know, you had two strong franchises. You know, you had the 49ers and you had the Browns. And you kind of had the Colts, but, you know, they ultimately went away. And I think, to me, that's kind of what I'm seeing with the XFL right now. Now, I just got a text from my buddy Dave with XFL, my XFL InfoWars podcast. I'm not watching the Brahma's game right now, but he said it's not a good look with the stands right now um, with the Brahma's game. So we have the Battlehawks, and that's pretty much about it. I just have been underwhelmed. It's just not a good look when you see empty stadiums, Um, and nowadays our... And nowadays, we are so fragmented when it comes to TV watching. It's not like the old days with the USFL. When the USFL started, we had three channels. And that was it. And I think that was part of the reason why the USFL was able to succeed because they were on ABC, and ABC fully committed to that league. And if I, memory serves me right, and this is where, as I was thinking before we went on, did ABC was USFL – did ABC commit to the USFL for the fall 80, 80, I'm sorry, for the spring 86 and 87 seasons. Um, I don't recall. I don't remember the story. There, on that. There
1: were talks about ABC being a part of it, but, but ABC was the one that had committed to the USFL from, you know, 83, 84, 85. And there was talks right. about 86, but of course, 86 came and went, uh, yeah. really early, but you know, I know that there are people out there that think that we're just anti-XFL. And let me tell you something. I'm not. Again, I watch the games. I watch them as a passive fan. But there is a fascinating, in my opinion, a fascinating documentary on Peacock. And it's called The Monday Night Wars.
0: Oh, I have not seen this one. Have you seen it? No.
1: Oh. The Monday Night Wars is fantastic. Oh, okay, now tell me more. Tell me more. It it details the WWF at the time WWE going up against World Championship Wrestling when there were two major wrestling promotions and they were right. fighting for, you know, fans, attendance, everything else. <laughs> but the thing I like about that documentary is it not only tells you what was going on at the time in each episode, but it shows you the ratings. And that to me is key. It's showing you what the ratings were for each show as things happened. And it, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a long documentary. It's broken down into, into parts. I want to say it's, well, I want to say it's probably 18, 19 episodes. Oh, but but they jump into a lot of different things that were going on when these two major companies were going head to head. And that's the problem is they the NFL has not had a major competitor since the USFL because these guys aren't following different plans to try to build. They've got to build viewership and I'll give the XFL all the credit in the world. They're moving their TV schedule around. They're trying to get different games and different time slots so that, you know, so that they can get more viewership. But at the end of the day, if you don't come up with some type of plan yeah, to, to try to do this full time. and And I'll say this, too. The XFL has an investment group that's behind them. Right. You know what I know about investment groups? They like to make money. Investment groups like their money and they do not want to lose money. And I can tell you right now that that cord will be pulled really quickly if the XFL doesn't turn some type of profit or at least show that they can turn some type of profit.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we're reaching, you know, talking about ratings and everything, and people get hung up. And this is what frustrates me. Know so we see the ratings that come out, and you know, there's a lot of spin that gets put out by the XFL media. I'm not going to name names, but you know, you and I both know you and I both know who that is, and we've talked about that offline. Um, you know what? It's great. I understand you're trying to spin the positive on ratings, well, but in this time slot, but here's the bottom line at least, in my opinion, your overall numbers are dropping, and the the one thing. Thing i hear constantly and i i understand why i hear it but hey we don't know what the streaming numbers are like okay you've got a point but as somebody who has to stream i'm over on the other side of the world i have to use a vpn to actually access you know espn plus i know this much about the xfl when it comes to streaming i have to physically go look for that channel to get the xfl games on espn it's not like I'm flipping through the channel, sitting down on my couch going, okay, what's on? Flip, 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 boom, football game. So, yeah, I'm sure the numbers obviously are going to be higher with streaming, but I don't know, just based on my own experience trying to figure out where to find the games, I don't think the, the ratings for streaming are going to add that much of a boost. And even if they do, listen, I always, and I harp on this and mate it, uh, Kyle, am I imagining things? But when you've looked at those ratings, as the USFL games, have they beat the Real Housewives in the ratings? Because every time I see it, it just seems like Real Housewives is always right above the highest-rated game. And I'm just like, listen, you need to be able to beat out your competition in cable. It's great you're in the top 50, but, man, if you can't beat out a Real Housewives on Bravo, then, yeah, I I don't see it as a win. I mean, it's not a loss, but definitely not a win. So that's just my take on it.
1: Well, here's my take on it, and you know, I I may have shared this before, I may not. This may be breaking news. I don't know if you've got a sounder, but for me, these XFL fanatics, and again, there's a difference between being passionate about football right. and being a fanatic because the word fan is is a derivative of a fanatic. fanatic. Yeah, for me. These fans are paying to watch practice squad football with better uniforms. Mm-hmm. That I, I mean, I love that these guys are getting a chance. I love that they're getting paid to play pro football. I, I I love that. Like deep in my heart, I love that these guys are getting a chance.
0: Yeah.
1: But as my dad would say, you can polish a turd, but it's right. still a turd. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you are they these these people are praising practice squad football like like it's the the next best thing and it's not right. if the Xf, if the XFL wants to make a splash go after the people that are going to be in the NFL draft or the NFL draft in April go yeah. after yeah, yeah go, make it. go sign go sign somebody that's going to be in the first round. And go make a splash. If the yeah. USFL wants to do the same thing, right. go do it. But you're not gonna make yeah. a splash signing these guys that have had their opportunity and let right. it go.
0: Right. I mean, the CFL figured that out years ago. I mean, they knew they couldn't spend money, but the one time they had decent owners, I'm sorry, they had owners with really deep pockets of money back in 91 with John Kent, they signed Rocket, but they knew listen, this is this is just to get asses in the seats we know we can't hold we, we we can't afford this guy for too long so let's give him um but yeah the USFL and, and the XFL if they really want to be taken seriously yeah they'll make a splash i mean i mean really money talks and but right now yeah we are watching you know it's it's we're watching single for to use a good baseball analogy we're we're watching maybe single a or double a ball right now and i think double a ball might be a stretch i mean the usf uh, sorry but the cfl listen i love the cfl i mean it's from the 55 yard line we're cfl fans but we are we we are really you know realistic to know that you know a lot of these guys i mean this is in many ways with the cfl i can i equate it to triple a baseball yeah. um, these are some great guys but you know then you got your double a's and but when it comes to like XFL fans i mean USFL fans to me have always had a great sense of humor same with CFL fans self-deprecate uh, um can, you know it's like you can laugh at yourself XFL fans are just i'm you know i mean i'm big on my memes and everything but i think my memes speak a lot of truth too but they do not they they take this a little bit overly seriously when it comes to their fandom going you know, we've seen this on, on Facebook, you know, all these plans for expansion and God love them. You know, maybe they just got too much time on their hands or or what have you. And I understand their passion, but guys, hold the, hold the phone on expansion. You need, before you can expand the league, you need to have a league that at least gets 10,000 people in asses in the seats consistently for every game. Yeah. This 6,000, 7,000, 9,000 stuff. It just ain't going to work. With only one team in St. Louis, you know, making up the difference, it just—it's just not going to work. I mean, um, no, you're right. You're exactly right. I mean, St. Louis can't carry that entire league,
1: and you know, and to further our conversation from before, and and I apologize, this is the only name I can come up with on the creation list right now, but if the XFL or the USFL wants to make a splash go make an offer to Dalton Schultz. He's one of the best free agents that still doesn't have a team right now. He's a tight end. I know that that's not a sexy position, right. But if if they want to make a splash, go through that NFL free agent list and and make an offer to Dalton
0: Schultz or Lamar.
1: Yes, make it make an offer to Lamar Jackson. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean I, you know what?
1: I I hear OBJ's looking for something to do. Right. I mean, yeah. go go at least. I mean, especially The Rock. He grew up in the wrestling world. He yeah. grew up in the promotion world. He grew up in the look at me world. Right. Go make offers to those guys. I guarantee you, The Rock knows OBJ. Yeah. Yeah. And- go. Go make an offer to that guy and yeah. say, listen we're going to, you know, we're going to try to get you back in the NFL or we're going to, you know, go against our, you know, salary cap, whatever it is, but we want you to come and play in our league.
0: Right. Go make him an offer. Talk to him. And if they would put that much effort into stuff like that, instead of, you know, Hey, guess what? We've got a new sponsor for our league. It's my tequila brand. It's my energy drink plant. You know, they put that type of effort into getting, you know, To making a splash with signings, yeah, it's going to cost you money. But right now, dude, you're losing, you're you're hemorrhaging money no matter what. But you know, but signing a big name might lessen in the rate. You know, your ratings are definitely going to go up at least for you know for for a little bit. But I, you know, but maybe that'll happen next season. Though I'm not convinced because I thought they, listen, I thought we walked into the season. I thought, okay, Redbird Capital coming in. Oh, I'm sure they. It's much like when we invaded Iraq oh, I'm sure we got a plan. I'm sure. I mean, I sat in briefing rooms before we invaded Iraq going and I turned to fellow ensign. I go, so then what? I don't know. It just seems to me like, okay, they were going to launch this league, but they had no plan moving forward other than, Hey, we're going to be able to sell more energy drinks and be able to sell more tequila. But then you hear fans saying, Hey, I'm waiting on merchandise. I'm, I'm, There's a lot of stuff that's happening with this league that I don't think Vince McMahon would have allowed to happen if this were under his watch. So it's very frustrating, obviously, for you and I watching this because we can see how this is kind of history in a way is kind of, it seems like, in some ways, repeating itself. But now we're moving into, we are in March. Obviously, this this weekend is a make or break, I think, for the U.S. I'm sorry, for the XFL because you've got March Madness, You've got world baseball classic, you've got a lot of other things are on the plate. And that and we live in such a fragmented we, TV viewership is so fragmented now, unlike the days with the USFL, where you had four channels and you know the networks went with the, the stuff that they knew everybody was going to tune in on. But back in the 80s, people watched the USFL. People, I mean, you know, the all three championships. And that was must-see TV. And those were some great games, too. Um, so before we go, any parting thoughts in terms of uh, just with the USFL project, where we're going, what's coming on with spring? We're going to talk more on other episodes down the, down the road, obviously, uh, especially as uh, you know we move deeper, deeper. into. we'll talk more spring football probably on my XFL Infowars show and, uh, and also a little bit more and more on Gridiron America. But before we wrap everything up, to any final thoughts in terms of just where we're at now with spring football, and has the spring foot has this renaissance with spring football? Have you guys noticed that uptick in traffic to your to the USFL project?
1: Um,
0: Yeah, we've noticed an uptick in traffic,
1: but but it's you know it it's a lot of people that are looking to talk about the current xfl usfl which we don't do i mean we that's one of our main rules but but no we still i mean on a daily basis we're still growing and we're still thankful for that because we we want people to remember the original usfl and we want them to be a part of our group and and you know and see everything that's posted in there um what's coming up next for spring football Man, if they don't if they don't change some things, I don't think we're gonna have strength football in probably about three years. And Mm. I hate to say that. I really, really, really hate to say that. But you know, the XFL, the investors are gonna come calling, the USFL, they've already got a season under their belt and now they're gonna expand to, you know, one or two more cities. I I just don't I don't see the current model being able to sustain a a long term deal. I really right. don't, and I and I want them to again. Yeah, I, I want these leagues to succeed, but the way they're going about it, I don't. I don't think it's going to work. And again, Rock, Danny, if you're out there, I mean, let let's talk. Let's talk about sustainability. Let's talk about long-term ventures, but the way it's going right now, it's not going to work.
0: Yeah. Now I'm on the same page with you, and uh, yeah, you and I. I mean, I, 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 after we wrap up and you know, hit the stop button, and and you go back to basketball. I, you're probably you and I are probably going to go catch the last of the last the last half of the the XFL game here. But no, I, really? I'm right. I am right there with you because it's just it, it's yeah, I it just, you know, and that's the frustrating part. Why? Why do you hate? Why are you hating on the XFL? Why are I go? Because history is repeating itself. And, um, you know, it kind of goes back to what I said. Those who are, you know, you and I were, his, we're, we're students of we are students of the history of the game. And it it gets very frustrating when you see. I mean, the NFL obviously is paying attention and they're reading their history. And there's a reason now why the NFL is a 24-hour, seven days a week, 365 days of the year league. And but the flip side is too the, the the NFL you know also couldn't get spring football to work. The only league that has made it work was the usfl and because of oh because of the not one person but because of many people that league went away it it was had they stuck with the dixon plan you know we'd probably have the usfl today in some form spring definitely you know i can i can see a you know an alternate universe where usfl does exist um you know as a compliment and again you never know i mean there could have been a time where the NFL and the USFL, much like the NFL and the AFL, said, "Okay, we got to stop this. We got to come together," mm-hmm. and they could have worked out something. So, well, listen, my friend. With all that said, here we've been we've been going quite a while here, and I've taken up a good part of your your evening here. And uh, it's a sunny day here in Japan, so I'm going to be heading out here after we hit the stop button. But hey, thank you very much for sitting down with me. I've really enjoyed this today because, uh, you know. I've wanted to talk to you for years and it just, I, up until now, I just never have really had it, had, had the opportunity to do it. So we're going to be able to do more of this. I hope. Absolutely. And I, you know, and I
1: appreciate it. And I, you know, I want to piggyback on what you said here at the end. Um, The people that see us as XFL haters, they have to realize that we understand business there is a business aspect to this. And I've always been told, if you want to find the truth, follow the money. And what we're doing is we're following the money back to what the XFL and the USFL are doing. Right. And again, right now, I mean, we we want this to work. But it is it, it simply from the outside, because we're not insiders. From the outside, it doesn't seem to be working. So we're not haters. We're realists.
0: Right. And everything is – and the, the XFL works between the lines because, I mean, I'm not, you know, the, the quality of play, while obviously it's not NFL, CFL, or even college football, it's still football. And these kids are out there busting their tail to mm-hmm. get noticed, and they're playing with hearts. So on the field, I, we, you and I have, not, have never, never voiced a complaint. Actually, there have been some innovations the XFL is trying that I kind of like. Yeah. But it's outside the lines that, you know, it's, it, that's how it's always been with these leagues. Outside the lines, it's been the business people that screw it up for the people that are playing, that are, that are you know. And, uh, you know, that's what happened in the 70s with the World Football League. The 80s with the USFL, the 90s with the World League of American Football, and so on and so forth. So, with all that said, Kyle on behalf of on behalf of Kyle and myself, thank you much. Uh, you know, Kyle, thank you very much for sitting down with me, and uh, let's uh, let's have another conversation very soon. I appreciate it, my friend.
1: Man, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on, and let's go
0: all right before I before we let you go here man tell everybody how to find the usFL project and uh and find all and see all the great things on there
1: uh right now just go to Facebook and search the USFL project you can find the page you can find the group the group is way more um, active so go to the USFL project on Facebook and join our group there's a couple of rules but we would absolutely love to have you
0: righty. Well, thank you very much, Kyle, for sitting down with me and for everybody listening, uh, plan on, uh, I'll be talking to you very, very soon as it's, uh, my life here in Japan has, has been going. I've been able to sit down with everybody, you know, somebody once a week talking football history for, for gridiron America. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, soon we're going to have a world football league, uh, conversation coming up. Scott will be back with us. It's just a matter of time zones and challenges and all that kind of good stuff. Um, that really, it's really interesting too, Kyle, before I let you go, lining up things in Japan with time zones and talking back to America. For me, it's very cathartic. I mean, this is in many, I'll, I'll, I'll be, be blunt. This is, I, I'm selfish. This helps me because I don't feel, I feel like America is just right across the street instead of half a world away to be able to talk football. But for those listening, Hey, Scott will be back here hopefully sooner rather than later. And, um, Thank you very much for tuning in. Bye-bye.